Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Pop. I'm Kevin Schwaller, a digital producer at Spectrum News in Milwaukee. And I'm Emma Sasek, a reporter for the Desert Sun in Palm Springs. We're back. <laughs> and better than ever, baby. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's actually this is the first time we're recording an episode where there's no construction, I believe. This is the first episode. Wow, it only took seven episodes? I, think, I Correct. This is seven, yeah. So, wow. I, I, wait, hold on. Quick pause. Yeah, there's no construction. <laughs> they must be listening. They must know. <laughs> they, they were like, let them let them record in peace. <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, they're big listeners. They're part of our millions of followers on Spotify. <laughs> so we get it. How was um Sage Coach? Oh, God. Mm. Mm. It was real toasty with it mm. being 105 degrees every single day. Um, cowboy boots kick up a lot of dirt. And I was choking to death by the end of Friday from how dusty it was. And then on Saturday, I was wearing a mask and I got every possible glare from every single person in attendance of this festival just for wearing a mask. And you're like, no, I'm literally just trying to breathe. (laughs) Yes, I literally was like, this is I'm not I'm not doing anything crazy right now. I just do not want to inhale pure dirt and dust. Also, you're in the desert. It's not like you want to be wearing a mask anyway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> one, of my, one of my coworkers, he heard people heckling him for wearing a mask. And one person was like, if you're afraid of getting sick, don't even come here. And he was like, that's literally not even the point of me doing this right now. You're like, it's the dust that you're kicking into my mouth and eyes as you say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was, uh, but it was okay. I mean, we are not country music people, so... Mm-hmm. It was not my ideal situation, but I did get to see Trixie Mattel. She was at the late night set and she did great. Already had like six costume changes in the first song. Oh, Icon. great. Icon. <laughs> um, and then I saw like, I saw Melissa Etheridge and Brian Adams, my 1980s soft boy pop king. <laughs> <laughs> and that was good. And then I stayed home on Sunday, not going anywhere near that. Does this wrap your music festival extravaganza weekends (laughs) yes i no longer have to do anything i just get to go to i have to go to france soon the worst thing in the world i have to go to france soon oh my Mm. god (laughs) cries in french (laughs) 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 how about you how are you doing i'm afraid Mm. just like (laughs) Bo. I'm always afraid. <laughs> I I'm doing good. I'm just still exhausted and reliving the two hour and fifty nine minute experience that the new Ari Aster film is, which is what we're talking about today. But I'm not joking. I'm still like actively tired. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we went through lots of peaks and valleys with that movie. It's mm. one that like has very high highs and very low lows. It really does. Uh, no, I'm excited for this Ari Aster themed episode. I know, finally. We can talk about Hereditary. <laughs> Yay! I know, after we've literally talked about and teased our thoughts on Hereditary for the first six episodes. <laughs> I just told Emma a couple of days ago that I went back and listened to our original brand of Weekly Pop and we were previewing movies for the upcoming summer before we ended the podcast. And we were talking about Hereditary, and we were saying that it looks boring. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> I can't believe that we thought that that crazy fucked up trailer was going to be a boring 
Terrifying movie. Like, what were we thinking? Yeah, no, we both are obsessed with Mr. Astor's filmography. And as we talked about, I believe last week, we were going to do a Bo is Afraid, Ari Aster experience for everybody. So I guess let's start with um, the brand new film, Bo is Afraid. (laughs) Yes. So Bo is Afraid stars Joaquin Phoenix, the iconic Patti LuPone, Amy Ryan, Nathan Lane, and a host of other people. And the description is as follows. Following the sudden death of his mother, a mild-mannered but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he embarks on an epic Kafka-esque odyssey back home. You know what's certainly funny? it. <laughs> you know what's funny? I was literally going to ask you and I forgot. I was like, how are we going to actually describe the plot of this movie in a very short way? So that was perfect. <laughs> they did it. IMDb did the thing. Thank you, IMDb. <laughs> so this film is three hours long and mm. it's an epic uh, in many ways. So we'll kind of break it down in terms of the first hour, second and third hour. There will most likely be spoilers here, but maybe we'll try to keep it more on the lighter side for those who still haven't had a chance to see it. But starting off with the first hour, we're basically just introduced to Bo, who is portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix, and we see the crazy neighborhood that this guy lives in, which makes you understand why he is so anxious about the world around him. Can, can we agree that the first hour is the best hour I loved the first hour. Okay, yes. Cool. Yes. Okay. I, that was starting strong. <laughs> yes. I mean, like it totally puts you in this fearful mindset of crazy, delusional, wild people running rampant on a street, literally stabbing people every time you go out. <laughs> Naked men stabbing people, clothed men stabbing people. I mean, they have it all on this they little do. street. <laughs> they do. Can I just say, when he lost his keys and his bag, actually, mm-hmm. let's backtrack. Mm-hmm. The people were sliding notes under his door about- Oh my the- God, that was that was my worst nightmare because I like I would not be able to sleep in this apartment complex where like people are shouting and screaming and yelling all night long. And then, and then blaming is- it on you instead of the other yes, people. Are- and I'm like, I can't sleep as is. I'm not playing music. That was, that was actually, I totally agree. I'm like, that would actually drive me crazy. But then somebody stealing his keys and his bag when he was about to go visit his mother. And then him calling her and saying, hey, somebody stole my keys. I don't think I can come. And she's like, "Ah." and then he's like, what do you think I should do? And she's like, you know what you should do. And I'm like, what would he do? But at the same time, I kind of agree with her because that apartment is such a shit show that you're going to let these people come in anyway. (laughs) Like if somebody's going to steal from you, that's going to be the apartment to do it inevitably, whether your door is locked or not. So it's going to happen sooner or later. Yes. And I also love when we eventually see where she lives, Mona Mm -hmm. lives at the end compared to where he lives. Hilarious. (laughs) Oh, the staircase. Mm. Mm. anyway (laughs) anyway but i i really loved the like production design Mm -hmm. in the first hour because i mean the street is so colorful it is like jam-packed with all these little things that i'm pretty sure get repeated later on in the film in terms of like little clues or little logos and all that um and then just like how drab and shitty his apartment looks like and how (laughs) all these people like ruin it once he yeah loses his keys can't get into the building this and that I mean it was just pure chaos from the start and that's why I was like 
oh hell yeah we're about to like embark on like who knows what kind of journey and eventually he has a disturbance in his on his path to visit his mother aka a truck hitting him (laughs) while he's (laughs) naked (laughs) and afraid and afraid (laughs) (laughs) and amy ryan and nathan lane are the people that hit him and they decide to take him into their teenage daughter's bedroom (laughs) to recover instead of the empty room that they have (laughs) yes they are still terribly grieving the loss of their son who he died in the military and they are literally obsessed with him i mean it's understandable they lost their child in war and but they have a shrine they're like all overly medicated And on top of already the full house that they have, they have their son's friend who was also in this made-up war that's taking place in Colombia or somewhere. And um, he is suffering from so much PTSD. A level of PTSD that I did not know existed. (laughs) My God, it was so much. That character was just honestly ridiculous to me. If it wasn't for him, though, he wouldn't. I wouldn't have gotten my favorite scene in the entire movie, which <laughs> we will get to later. <laughs> yes. But anyway, like, more crazy stuff starts happening to Bo here. He's still on this mission to go see his mom. We should also say, though, that he learns very disturbing news about his mother, which makes his journey to visit his mother even more dire. And we've already said what it is in the description. His mom dies. Yeah, she she gets her she gets her head cut off by a chandelier. <laughs> okay, also quick side note, can we do a wellness check on Ari Aster's mother? See, we need to do a wellness check on Ari Aster in general. Correct. Because every movie that he's done, the mother dies. Yes, allegedly in this film as well. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get but, there. But yeah, Bo is trying to get to his mom, get to her funeral, and it is like every possible obstacle will be in his way. Nathan Lane keeps saying like, oh yeah, we'll go today. And then somehow something happens where he's like, oh, sorry, bud, we got to go tomorrow. I have to do the surgery and whatnot. And um, I feel bad for him, but also like, it's just so entertaining. Do you think that his therapist, the pills he gave him are causing these like delusions of grandeur or are we just pretending that this is like all actually happening the way that it's happening? I think I think most of the things happen, but like they're so over exaggerated, probably because of like the medications that he's taking and like just how anxious he is and like how he his mom has like made him so worried about the world. That's kind of how I interpreted it. But for the most part, I was like, yeah, I believe that probably this is happening, but maybe a lot of things are just, oh, my God, I'm on alert. I agree. Okay, cool. I love when we're on the same page without not knowing if we're on the same page. <laughs> yes. Um, you said, I think you said you didn't like the house scene as much with when he's staying with them. I mean, I just think that there, I just have a lot of questions with this part in general. Cause like at the end of the day, I'm just kind of like, so who are Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane's characters? Like, what was the point out of, of a lot of the things? Um, there are a lot of interesting things that like Amy Ryan's character like says to Bo that Agreed. makes me think like, oh, like, is he just being followed, being set up, what, what not? I fully agree because they kind of, again, we keep eventually getting to where the ending happens and the way it happens. But yes, there's that scene that shows that they 
mm-hmm. knew his mother. So I mm-hmm. think she was also trying to kind of help him in a little bit of a way. Yeah, because she sent him that note that said, like, stop incriminating yourself. And mm. it's just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then also, well, that's me the entire movie. But also when she has him turn on the TV. Yes. And he's watching himself. <laughs> yes. And then you see, like, future parts oh, yeah. of the film. Mm-hmm. You see him, like, coming out on the side of the road at one point, And you see him on a boat. And then later on, you're like, oh, shit, I've seen this already in the TV. So you're just also... For a second, I was like, am I watching, like, a Truman show in yeah. a way here? Oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, is I it, buy is that. that. Like, is everything being orchestrated by his mom, by all these people who she seemingly might be employing? If I could do a mic drop, which I'm not going to for the sake of convenience of resetting it back up, I would, <laughs> I would do a mic drop. Yes, I agree with that entirely. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Also, the precursor to all of this, though several minutes into this podcast is that Ari Aster himself has said this this is a comedy film and not like a traditional horror film that he's done in the past so knowing that helps a lot with this because if you Mm -hmm. went in thinking it would be a horror movie you would be very disappointed (laughs) very much so Um, there are still definitely like thriller elements part of this movie definitely psychological elements but I've kind of but yeah we were talking about this too like we were laughing while mm-hmm. watching this movie and like nobody else in our respective theaters cared <laughs> no because there's just so many times where you're just like what the fuck and you just start I laughing <laughs> i know and i did that so many times and everybody else around me was just dead silent i was like either you hate this or you're asleep or both and at that point though at the same time i'm like again i'm seated knowing that this is a three-hour movie and the director himself has said it's quote-unquote comedy Mm -hmm. so knowing that you're just kind of already suspending your disbelief in general so that helps a lot other than that yeah you could be sound asleep very quickly (laughs) (laughs) after some more crazy stuff happens in this house involving a very uh on-edge daughter (laughs) the way that she gaslit that man like it was nobody's business (laughs) i know just really getting him every step she could uh, Bo eventually escapes from this house and goes through like some woods, woodsy area that's right outside their home until he stumbles upon this like traveling theater group of orphans, as they like to call them. And they are putting on a show called My Sweet Beautiful Boys or something like that. And um, this is another part of the film where Kevin and I were just like, why what you guys Uh, can't see me but i'm just shaking my head really (laughs) violently (laughs) the troupe kind of encourages him to join the play that's kind of their vibe is that anybody can be a part of it to some extent and they give him clothes to wear to be a part of it and then they start putting on this production and he i believe sees himself in the protagonist character which Mm -hmm. takes us on an acid trip for no reason for about <laughs> what feels like 95 hours <laughs> I think yeah. I think or I think I'm still watching it actually <laughs> I will say that the narrator of this play had a very soothing voice mm-hmm. and it was always saying like you will go on this journey you will meet a woman you will it, do this it reminded me of Tilda Swinton and Pinocchio 
Oh. Like, that's all I was thinking about. And I loved it. I will say I love that they were wearing those creepy white masks. Yeah. That helped a lot because that was what was keeping me going because that part <laughs> is a snooze fest. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. It like chronicles like some basically like what the rest of his life is going to look like, which involves love and family and bad stuff. And bad weather. And, and bad weather. <laughs> I guess somehow being able to have children despite again this is going to come into play later but mm -hmm. his family is has a bad track record of um orgasming <laughs> yes throughout the entire film you keep hearing about his father who Bo never met because according to his mom he died the moment they conceived Bo and I guess his grandfather and great-grandfather also died the exact same way so yes incredible lineage going yeah, on that, for them that's, that's a good track record <laughs> and so he's always been very close with his mother and we see these flashbacks of like either memories that he has dreams he thinks he has um some summer vacation which involved a cruise where he met like a young girl and his mom was very strangely like jealous of this mm -hmm. it's a weird relationship going on between them which probably explains why he is the way that he is and then eventually they bring us back to the current plot point of the movie of him watching the show and he believes he runs into his father at this outdoor theater and then all of a sudden things go absolutely haywire because <laughs> The man with PTSD shows up and starts bombing and shooting everybody. It's a <laughs> great, could, great time. You couldn't make it up. <laughs> and that, by the way, was my favorite part of the movie. I was ready for this man to come in and just go <laughs> apeshit. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually Bo gets out of this strange forest land and is finally on his way to his mother's house. Can we talk about how somebody decided to pick him up? immediately while he's on the side of the road after surviving a mass shooting and just drives him several hours to his mother's house with no why question why couldn't this have happened why couldn't this happen at the beginning of the movie it would have saved us a solid 45 minutes yes it would have. <laughs> and he gets to his mom's gorgeous house and yes. he misses the funeral Mm -hmm. of course and he walks into the open casket that is just a beheaded very nicely dressed corpse and seeing that, I'm like, whatever, I can't get over how pretty and beautiful and rich this house is. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. It is so funny to see where his mom lives, like this mega business mogul woman. And then seeing her son live in literal hell where everybody is getting stabbed and dying and shot at. It's a very big juxtaposition. <laughs> so funny. In this house, he meets Elaine, who we learn is the young girl that he fell for on that cruise they have quite the reconnection and rekindling uh he's kind of pissed off that he didn't know that she worked for his mom this entire time and his mom just happened to never mention that and we mentioned this earlier that uh nathan lane and i believe amy ryan also worked for his mother she is a yes. giant business mogul i don't really think we know what exactly she does mm -hmm. but she has a company <laughs> she has a company I loved seeing them in that collage I know that it focused on Elaine but when you look around you're like wait that's Nathan wait that's the it's like everybody from the film is in that which makes me think like is it Truman Show here right and that also very much brought back to like hereditary when Tony Collette starts to realize that 
a lot of people are in on this. Yes. Anyway, which we'll get to later, but yes. it brought me back to that too. And yeah, like you said, that was a rekindling of the ages. I don't think we need to talk about exactly what that was, but it ends with a heart-stopping finale for Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> and everything is then entirely interrupted by Patty Lapone, who mm. is Mona, who is Bo's mother. And we learned that she faked her own death and orchestrated pretty much all of this. Can we just say Patty Lapone? Patty fucking Lapone. Patty Lapone ate this up. And I am submitting her for best supporting actress at the upcoming Academy Awards. Yes. Oh my God. She is so viciously scary and so like she's just like stabbing you with a knife and twisting it around and he deserves it he missed out on our funeral it's so funny because this entire movie you're like oh his mom is gaslighting him she's scary she's intense she's controlling but the way that she did so good i kind of was like oh i see her point <laughs> yeah you're like you know what he is a piece of shit he is a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> and we just get this onslaught of emotions and rehashing of disappointment and this and that with her and him and he is like stuck on learning more about his life and his father specifically and boy are you in for a huge reveal if you do not know what that reveal is <laughs> i texted my my mom called me right after and i explained the plot of this movie a little bit and i was like yeah there's a giant penis monster <laughs> and she was like huh and then i found a picture on twitter and sent it oh. to her <laughs> yes we we learned some more family secrets i don't think i quite understand exactly what we saw besides the giant penis monster i'm assuming was that supposed to be his dad <laughs> i mean if that's if that's supposed to tell you that his dad was a huge dick then great and we learned that the therapist was in on it, which to me makes absolutely no sense because I'm assuming he, she just bribed him, like gave him money to, because that's, they said there were 300 plus sessions. So that's a very long-term commitment just to <laughs> gaslight your child. So she must have paid him off to get these recordings because I just don't understand why he put in that much effort. <laughs> I'm just thinking like in general, like we see how much like, of his life that she controls so it wouldn't even surprise me in general if like from the get-go she just wanted to like know what her son was talking about her and we see that he has basically been the poster child for everything in her company like he literally was the poster child for this medication for this cream for this and that so like he is just this company and this terrified child who grew up into a terrified adult and like we said, from Mona Patty Lapone's point of view, he is an ungrateful piece of shit. And mm. I think I kind of went away from it believing that, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't really, I don't really know. That's the point. Yeah, I mean, it's just a very complex relationship where I feel like there's there's clearly no winning. Like Patty Lapone's character will never understand that she caused damages to her son. And I think Bo will never learn to stand up to his mother. And there's just like, it's just this endless cycle that they get into until the very end where mm. our our hero uh, has one more trial, literally, to go on. <laughs> At that point, I was just like, A, can we wrap this up? B, I can't even ask any more questions because 
I don't understand what I'm watching. <laughs> yes, there's like this big, I guess, like gladiator coliseum trial that he gets put on where Patty Lapone and her lawyer are just accusing him of everything. His oh, and defense... his, att- his defense attorney doesn't have a microphone while yes. they do, and you can't hear yes. anything. And he is speaking the exact truth, but we can't hear it. Yeah, I mean, that was a really great metaphor for how Bo feels and how he responds to his mother in general. She's a very mm-hmm. booming presence, and he cannot get a point across to save his life, literally, no. now. <laughs> yeah, I did love the Midsummer-esque scene with the lawyer when he got pushed off. Oh my gosh, I thought about that too. Yeah. Yeah, R- rough, rough life. <laughs> and that's Ow. Bo is afraid. <laughs> literally, and that is the movie. That is the movie. The credits silently roll while the entire Coliseum gets up and leaves, and... I don't necessarily know how to interpret it exactly because what are we supposed to take from that? I don't I don't know. I'm asking you genuinely. <laughs> the lesson is call your parents, call your mother, visit your mother, never complain to your mother, love them unconditionally all day. <laughs> I feel like there's really no one way to describe this film, as you could tell. <laughs> yeah, there was a quote that said this is a career killer for Ari Aster. And that obviously made a lot of people excited because they like that stuff, including us. By no means is it a curricular by like whatsoever. I don't love the movie, but also I can't at the same time figure out who exactly would like it. (laughs) And I'm not even trying to be real. Like I've actually thought about this. I thought about it all day when after I saw the movie, because there's a difference in saying, you know what, that's not for me. Like when we talked about Joker, I get Mm -hmm. why people liked it, but Mm -hmm. also sorry, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, but it's not for us. But that's this is just like we've seen, I mean, again, hereditary midsummer, we've seen Mother, we've seen the new Suspiria, the Lighthouse, a lot of fucked up movies. But I think my takeaway from those is at least there were like very solid horror elements that kind of kept me along for the ride. And mm-hmm. as we talked about earlier, Ari Aster said this is a comedy and it's also an adventure, it's fantasy. There's 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 elements of horror for sure. But I think that's why I couldn't really get into it, because if it was supposed to be scarier and there was more of that creepy tone, I think I would ride for it a lot easier. Because, Mm -hmm. again, we just saw a lot of fucked up movies in the last couple of years of our lives. Um, But this one, I just can't I can't say I support her. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, among the three, it is currently in third place for my favorite of them. And I mean, it's just the pacing like for me like the pacing really kills it especially in that second hour and second part where you know there's so many cool elements that are in there but it's like but what does this have to do with anything it feels so slow to this overall story especially when the beginning and the end are really strong because you have like either great performances or you have great production design that's immersing you in this world and so that sucked me out of it a little bit with the second hour um overall I still like had a pretty good time watching it I just it just does not need to be three hours long no and yeah no I fully agree too like I don't by any means just like this movie I think I gave it like a three and a half out of five like that's still very good that's exactly Um, what I gave it to I love us I know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah there's just I think a little too much going on in the runtime and if the runtime was shortened that would objectively cut out some things that didn't need to be there Mm-hmm. And we get, we love a good directorial choice. We love a creative moment. You could also fully take out the entire woods part 
and that would not change the movie whatsoever. Right. Like the rest of the plot could have happened exactly as it did. So that's where I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I am always excited when there's a new Ari Aster oh my movie, God, especially yes. because he is so creative and so original and you literally never know what you're going to get with him. So I'm still going to be ride or die Ari Aster. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, I mean, I told my mom in the same phone call we had, I was like, I don't think you need to watch this. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. But at the same time, I think the audience that it has is solid enough that, like, including us, we'll see any Ari Aster movie. So there's enough people out there that can go and see it if they would like to. But I would recommend Hereditary and Midsummer to anybody that I've ever met. Like a random stranger on the street, <laughs> I would say, go see that. <laughs> them who are you <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like don't worry about it <laughs> it's all good just go watch this movie <laughs> I'm like you'll thank me later <laughs> um but no I mean yeah it was just a very drastic tonal shift for him which I do actually also very strongly appreciate that it mm-hmm. isn't a horror movie and that would kind of be like Jordan Peele making a rom-com at this point you know what I mean <laughs> like it's something you wouldn't expect And I love that also it was showing in IMAX theaters. That's crazy. And I always appreciate how, like with every single movie, there are so many different conversations that you can have about like any point of the film. Like this deranged conversation that we've had about this movie (laughs) is honestly really exciting and a lot better than a lot of other films that like just give you the most straightforward stuff. Right. It might be frustrating when you're like, I don't actually know what's going on in this movie and what the point of it is, but it's kind of fun to also talk about it and just pick up on these little things. I fully agree. And especially when it comes to A24 movies, like those just ask you for constant discussion after the fact. Yeah. So we're going to continue giving A24 their flowers and especially Mr. Astor his flowers because anything that he does for the rest of time, we will be tuning in. We will be, we'll seated. be seated. <laughs> And I mean, speaking of giving Ari Aster his flowers, do we want to get into Hereditary and Midsummer a little bit? Yes, we will. When we're back, that's where our conversation takes us. All right, the moment we've waited for. Finally, we can talk about Hereditary and Midsummer. I can't believe we're talking about Hereditary on Weekly Pop. This is so euphoric. So in 2018, Ari Aster made his directorial feature debut with Hereditary, starring Tony Collette, Millie Shapiro, Gabriel Byrne, and Alex Wolf. And this is the shortest possible plot summary in the existence. A grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. You know what, though? I will say we did say how hard it would be to talk about the plot of Bo is Afraid. Trying to sum up hereditary in a sentence sounds really complicated without giving anything away. It's yes. hard. At yes. this point, we're, there's spoils right and left. This movie's been out for five years, so y'all can either shut up or like... Watch you... it, please. Correct, correct. <laughs> you better have already seen it. I mean, speaking of mommy issues, this movie <laughs> takes it just as far, if not farther, than Bo is Afraid does. <laughs> it starts with Tony Collette, who is, I guess quote-unquote grieving the death of her mother I don't know if she's that sad but (laughs) she you know what I mean like do we think she was that sad (laughs) I mean she was like it's fine yeah yeah they had a very strained relationship and I think that was on purpose she didn't want her in her life and she didn't want her affecting her children 
little do we know that she very much affected her children. <laughs> and basically, there's this kind of this very tense dynamic between the entire family. We're not going to talk about the entire synopsis of this film. We we know. Like, we've all, again, if you haven't seen it, that's your problem, but not ours, because you're missing out. <laughs> yeah, the beginning of this film until a certain, uh, yet another headless scene takes place in this film he loves he loves these tropes in his movies he loves complicated relationship with his mother and beheading people <laughs> he i just remember watching this film in theaters and you know at first i was kind of like what is this all like supposed to be leading to like it kind of has like a slowish start it's obviously establishing these characters and what's going on but holy shit does this <laughs> film fucking go on a wild ride that does begin with a beheading <laughs> the way that i went to go see this with my dad and <laughs> he went to go to the bathroom during when charlie got her head cut off oh my god <laughs> and then he went again i believe when the dad is set on fire <laughs> so he comes back and he's like what i miss and especially for the beheading because the entire theater literally gasped collectively yes. he comes back he goes what did i miss and i go i'm not even lying the daughter's head just got ripped off <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Imagine just coming back and being like, all right, cool. Let's see what else happens. I'm like, that's where we're at now. Let's see what happens next. <laughs> my god. But yes, once Charlie dies, which her brother just leaves her headless corpse in the car and is like, I will let my mom and dad deal with that in the morning. And Tony Collette's like, I'm going to go get groceries. I'll take the car. And then you just hear the screaming because your child, your child's corpse is in the backseat of a car without a head. God, <laughs> my God. It just turns into such a fucked up movie afterwards that involves really understanding her mother's past, which involves a religion, a supernatural religion. I don't even know what it is. Paganism. I think they were pagan. Yeah. Yes. That was the... Also, that dinner table scene. Oh my god, yes. You little shit, I am your mother. Like, uh, let's talk about who should have won Best Actress in 2019. <laughs> let's talk about Miss Tony Collette. The way that that scene has broken barriers. <laughs> that scene, the performance she gives, could cure cancer. It could help childhood hunger. It could stop the Ukrainian war. Listen, Tony Collette eats that up in a way that i don't think could be matched period like by anybody that was no. insane <laughs> no she is horrifying like she will go from being like a fine everyday type of person to being so vicious again ariaster giving these mother characters this vis viciousness and like this desire to hurt the ones that they love and it is so amazing to watch what is his relationship like with his mother we need to find out i know i literally googled it she's like a poet i think she's super <laughs> low-key and she's alive so that's a good plus yeah, very nice <laughs> um but no i mean also she was making excellent points though i mean if he did just confess and say hey sorry my sister's head my... got <laughs> ripped off in the car i mean versus doing nothing which is what she was saying she said Maybe we could have come together at some point if you did this, if you just said sorry, which she never did. And mm. of course, she doesn't fully blame him, but she does, you know, to some extent, she knows it was an accident. But mm. that's, but so every single emotion just comes across in that dinner table scene. 
I don't know how many takes it took to do that, but I can't imagine Tony Collette yelling that to me even once. So no. imagine what, probably three or four times. Yeah, and, no, she is incredible in this film. Everything that you said is 1000% true. Uh, I love that woman. And though, like you said, there's some paganism going on and she meets Anne Dowd, who is somebody also in a grief counseling meeting that she goes to, who we then learn is in on it with Tony Collette's mom and they're worshiping King Payman, who is one of the kings of hell. And I guess the best way to worship him is to kill an entire family. <laughs> Which includes more decapitation. Mm -hmm. A lot of um, decapitation. Some fire. <laughs> some fire. Um, Tony Collette floating around to a little treehouse. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, it seemed like a regular Thursday night, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> This movie sounds so fucking crazy to talk about. Like, I, I can't even figure out how we're going to do Midsummer. <laughs> I don't know either, but oh my God, this is the most unhinged discussion right now. It is. Um, I do love how, you know, as we are talking about this crazy fucking movie, we're like, wow, we both fucking love this movie. As if we're not deranged ourselves. Oh, I know. And there is so much to pick up on when you rewatch. Yes. I mean, almost every time there's something new that you didn't catch before, which mm -hmm. is excellent filmmaking. And like you said, this was his directorial debut, and that's just crazy. It is a huge, huge swing that he took with this. I mean, most people probably are going to play it safe for the first one just to establish themselves. But he went in a total opposite direction with this. But he established himself fully as like somebody who is going to come to you with probably wild shit as we have seen and the score especially at the end when you hear that like orchestral ringing uh as they're in the treehouse like that's something that is like still stuck in my head to this day and it's beautiful and also very ominous and terrifying which yes. i guess fits the movie exactly because Perfectly it's beautiful <laughs> and <Perfectly>. terrifying <laughs> i mean and like what a better track record though for Mr. Astor because going directly from that to Midsummer, Hereditary mm -hmm. is the darkest movie and Midsummer is entirely in daylight and to make a horror movie entirely in daylight is impossible mm -hmm. but he did it he did do it I <laughs> if you thought it was hard to talk about Hereditary just wait till you talk about Midsummer. so in 2019 wow year right after year i didn't realize that they they announced midsummer literally during the hereditary early campaign before i think it even hit like theaters when it was still at sundance and things like that that he they already announced they had another project in the works which Fabulous. very rare also mm -hmm. by the way <laughs> so in this film a couple which consists of florence Pugh and jack rayner travel to northern europe to visit a rural hometown's fabled swedish midsummer festival what begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Once again, paganism back in full swing, but make it Swedish. <laughs> make, <laughs> make it Ikea. <laughs> make it Ikea. It's Ikea core. <laughs> the way that Ari Aster gave us Florence Pugh, she was already oh a working actress, but this was really what lit her career. Man. The, the way that I am so thankful. Mm -hmm. We we wouldn't have the Florence Pugh that we have today without Midsummer. This was a 
literally a career making role for her because she just like Tony Collette channels so much fucked up shit for this role like there's no other way to say it she first begins by learning that her entire family has been killed by mm -hmm. her her sister right her sister <laughs> yes her suicidal homicidal sister mm -hmm. um so she has to deal with every type of grief possible then she has a shitty ass boyfriend i was who, gonna say then she has a piece of shit boyfriend <laughs> who does not care about anything he just wants to go to sweden and have fun with the boys sweden is for the boys as this film <laughs> says oh god then she joins the trip uh, just because she will probably go AWOL by herself. And then what is supposed to be a nice, relaxing, sweet little midsummer trip ends up being a fucking nightmare. There are psychedelics. There is weird sex gatherings. There are be facings, not beheadings, but there is a face that is that ripped off and put on other someone else. There is weird... <laughs> origami with somebody's body that is suspended from the ceiling incredible <laughs> oh there's the um that what's in Bo's afraid with the rock when they fall from the rock or they fall onto the rock mm -hmm. the there little is ritual. sacrificing rituals or like death rituals um there's also bear costumes this was a big year for bears <laughs> <laughs> i mean this movie is like even more of a wild dream and truly horrific as you said he made it in the daylight which makes it honestly even more terrifying because you're like wait no the daylight is supposed to be the safe space I'm supposed to be able to see everything but it's so scary when you do see everything in front of you and that's what works very strongly for hereditary though is that the darkness is where you're seeing these random old naked people mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you, and you're not even seeing them immediately it's like the third watch you're like oh shit there's people out there there's naked people but then the exact opposite is everything is out on display in the daylight and like you said that just makes it as even more horrifying which is almost impossible <laughs> the things that i really love about this film are once again you just don't know what's going to happen at any point i really love like I don't know how much of it is actual legitimate cultures or anything like that in terms of Northern European cultures, but it just seems like there was a lot of care and imagination put toward like creating the separate world, totally different country, trying to celebrate a festival, like all of that had like little interplays that you're like, oh, you can't pee on this tree? <laughs> Why? What happens? Oh, you'll see what happens to the tree. No, yeah, I think I think they filmed in Budapest or something like that. Uh, and it's just, if you want to talk production design, I mean, excellence across the board. And the performances are incredible from Florence Pugh. Also pretty funny from a lot of the other actors. Will Poulter, for example, made me laugh constantly in this film until he met his sad <laughs> ending. <laughs> he was the comedic relief that we needed because... We were on that gaslit journey with Danny, with, with Florence Pugh's character. Yes. And like we said, it was truly a career-making role for Florence Pugh. I mean, the whales that she makes in this film haunt me to this day. Did you see that she said that this was, I think, probably the hardest movie she's ever had to do, which is very fair. But meanwhile, Tony Collette was like, yeah, Hereditary was therapeutic to do. <laughs> I listened to her on a podcast the other day, and she's like, yeah, I didn't really like keep that with me. I just kind of went for it. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I love these women with all my heart. <laughs> I know. 
And I also really appreciate the production design in Midsummer, like the little dormitory that they're sleeping in with all of the strange paintings on the wall. Fabulous. And you talked about the score for Hereditary. The Midsummer score is so good. Yes. And, you know, honestly, this film should be a, a warning to all boyfriends out there. Fuck around and find out. The way that nobody felt sorry for that man <laughs> is incredible. <laughs> we collectively at this point were like, yes, let him burn in a bear costume. Well, no, in an actual bear that they... Mm -hmm. <laughs> take out his organs and stuff and suck this man in like honestly let... keep him keep them in <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well they had him they had to make room for his giant inflated ego <laughs> <laughs> and it really has such a great final image that it leaves you with her smiling it's like she felt release in every which way the the slow transition from her looking horrified at what she's seeing to that smile mm -hmm. is chef's kiss cinema it is so good oh, now i really want to rewatch not only header to hereditary but midsummer like oh my god i'm not even joking while i was saying that i, I looked over i'm like oh there's my dvd i want to i want to watch it right now actually <laughs> <laughs> they're so good yeah i mean ari aster literally you will never know what you get with him and i fully applaud him for committing to the most deranged film plots possible and I give it to these actors for going for it and for really saying yeah I'm gonna do that and they run with it I mean they've literally never had a weak performance by any means every mm -hmm. single actor that does an Ari Aster movie kills it in a way that we're just obsessed I mean literally we we're talking about how amazing Patty Lapone is of course Joaquin Phoenix was fantastic in Bo is Afraid but like we said we wouldn't have had Florence Pugh's career take off the way without Midsummer. Tony Collette wouldn't have this resurgence in her career without Hereditary. It's just like, to say that they did amazing is an understatement. Like, I don't know how to say it even better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They literally were perfect. Just like Nina in Black Swan. I was perfect. I was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait for a Black Swan podcast. Oh, uh, don't you fucking tempt me. <laughs> Ooh. Let's do a Black Swan Suspiria one. That'd be a good, um, Ooh. Oh, wait. Oh. Wow. Oh. <laughs> not not to spoil, but wait, that's fantastic. That's a that good idea. That does sound amazing. All that right. Just, that just came to me. Anyway, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, no, but Ari Aster, like, let's keep that career going for decades to come. We'll never Definitely. have something that we'll truly dislike. You know what I mean? Like, we, we didn't mm -hmm. love Bo is Afraid, but everyone can have, like, a little... I don't even want to say misstep, though, because it was still a really well-put-together film. And Definitely. everything was truly intentional. Everything that Ari Aster does is intentional. So I kind of almost feel bad now for talking shit about it a little bit ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was just a movie that, I mean, pacing-wise, I think that was the biggest culprit against it. Like, there was just a little bit too much going on. Um, and there was just a whole lot of pacing issues. But... Every choice, as you said, was intentional and it had to do with something. And that's why if slash when we eventually rewatch it, we're going to probably walk away with like a bigger appreciation for it. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens to myself. Absolutely. I mean, to be very honest, I remember Midsummer Hereditary, I loved immediately. Midsummer, it took me a quick second just because yeah. it's a lot. There's a little bit less horror elements to it, too. It's a little slower paced. But mm -hmm. a good rewatch really just 
takes it all the way for me. Like, and then oh. ever, and then ever since then, again, we just praised it for what, how many minutes straight? Like, it's yeah. an excellent film. So yeah, it it takes a second for some people for sure. I do remember walking out of the theater from Midsummer. Just not sure how how I would walk out of the theater because I was like, how do I like go on my merry way after watching that? <laughs> and it's such a different shift from Hereditary too. So the fact that we're getting these drastic shifts is amazing and that a24 mm-hmm. is letting him do whatever the fuck he wants because he should be able to do whatever the fuck he wants <laughs> yes he should and he will and keep going king king <laughs> yeah. you drop this, you drop this crown. <laughs> and it's it's king payment's crown or it's the flower crown <laughs> in midsummer Ooh. Ooh. or it's mona's decapitated head or Correct. whoever's head whatever <laughs> oh wasn't it um was the maid cl- or something uh, yes it was like his um his yeah, nanny maid nanny mm-hmm. hmm. and she was like she begged me to when i was like okay i i believe you again again whatever patty Phone said in that movie i said women's stories matter they just matter <laughs> <laughs> and i guess when we come back we can talk about our favorite what's poppin moments of the week i guess you know we have nothing else to say with mr astor we love you <laughs> thanks king So Emma, what is your what's poppin' highlight of the week? Well, earlier this week, it was the first Monday in May, and we know what that means. Met Gala. <laughs> Unfortunately, there were no heists with the Ocean's 8 crew. However, many of them were present on the red carpet. And I am in shock and in disbelief over what Rihanna and Cardi B did in a probably five minute car ride that involves them leaving the hotel where it seems like most of the celebrities like get ready and Mm -hmm. go out of cardi b was wearing this pink like flower dress it was so springy and so vibrant rihanna was wearing basically just like a fur coat it seemed they get in the car they leave the car entirely Mm -hmm. wearing different outfits Cardi B is now wearing a very Karl Lagerfeld-esque outfit, which includes a long silver wig, a black and white dress. The tie. Yes, the black and white jacket on top, and then this huge hoop skirt with like black flowers on it. It was gorgeous. It was one of my favorite looks of the evening. Mm-hmm. While Rihanna wore this like big, just all white ensemble it had like a white jacket that she had around her head basically and then she unzipped it it was basically like a little jacket that she wore around her arms and shoulders and underneath it was like a very simple big white gown with a long train and I just don't know how they do it and the what was it like 25 million dollars worth of jewelry on her body probably yeah specifically (laughs) Cardi B I don't know how that happened because she had a whole different like you said she was wearing a silver wig everything was different it was an entirely different look head to toe and so you're just sitting in a van fully changing yeah that's excellent (laughs) how does that happen how do you not like how are you not ripping stuff and like how do you get that on in a moving van which if you hit stop a little bit too hard cardi b's gonna come flying (laughs) i'm just I'm truly in awe of these women's talents and they are, they're some of our bravest in this country. I have they to give are. it to them. 
they are. <laughs> and actually, there were a couple of guys that really understood the assignment. That's actually so refreshing to see. Yes, we had Jeremy Pope with that uh, huge long train that had Carl Lagerfeld's profile on it. That was stunning. Harvey Gwien, uh, Lil Nas X, Taika Waititi. I mean, a lot of guys really did take it there for us, which never happens at the Met Finally. Gala. They're yeah. notorious for never understanding the assignment. Yeah, no, that was nice. Like, guys, sometimes it's okay to not wear a black and white tux. I Correct. promise you it'll be okay. Correct. I mean, also, let's just, I'll just say this now. My West Popping is also the Met Gala is Anne Hathaway in Versace. Oh my God. I mean, let's talk about, to me, that was the look of the evening. Definitely. I... She looked so good from head to toe the hair the makeup this stunning white gown with like little bobby pin type things on it i'm happy she actually it's funny that you said ocean eight because that's when she really had her renaissance after people hated her for no reason by the way for yes. years and we we mm -hmm. were proudly in her defense for all those years so the fact that she is flourishing and looking literally better than ever and again best dress in my opinion mm -hmm. mother but also nicole Kimmon channeling her Chanel number five commercial from what like 2004 or something like yes. that yes I loved um, that commercial <laughs> yes <laughs> I loved it yes lots of pearls Kim Kardashian was donning the this pearl dress that looked really beautiful on her as well Kim K um, always gets the assignment too she does at the Met Gala at least <laughs> Jennifer Lopez looked so stunning like incredible <sighs> body oh Jenna Ortega oh my god Jenna Ortega Mm -hmm. uh, and that was what that was had to be her first Met Gala I'm pretty sure it probably was yeah she how was, big Wednesday was right she looked so good that was Serving. she was one of the best dressed also and the fact that it was her first Met Gala is uh, how she just does no wrong <laughs> she doesn't know no wrong uh other people that I really loved Janelle Monet in this mm -hmm. big like coat boxy dress Michaela Cole in this like stunning bejeweled. Uh, she looked so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Little Miss Sydney Sweeney as well in this bejeweled pinkish dress. And Amena Seyfried, she looked so great with her curly blown out hair and this short dress. And there were so many homages paid to Chopette, the cat. <laughs> Doja Cat and especially Jared Leto. I mean... I'm sorry, that was iconic. I actually hated it at first. And now I'm like, you know what? That was amazing. That was because I, good. I can't imagine being like a photographer on the red carpet and this giant cat suit walks in and you're just like, excuse me. <laughs> I loved on when the cat suit first came out, it said someone has hit the red carpet. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Until, of course, who's going to take it off? Jared Leto. He unfortunately usually does a pretty good job with the Met Gala too. I was thinking he of does. his camp, his camp one. I think it was camp theme when he had his head. <laughs> yes, Ari Aster was behind that one probably. And that is how we wrap this up. Sam, <laughs> thank you for listening, everybody. This was yet another fun episode. I'm so glad we finally got to dive into our two fave movies and take a look at Bo is Afraid. Absolutely, and like we always say, this was therapeutic. <laughs> so therapeutic. I'm Emma Sasek. And I'm Kevin Schmoller. And we will see you here next week. Bye.